Welcome to Boston Heart Diagnostics Heart Matters podcast series. My name is Susan Dietz. I'm a medical science liaison at Boston Heart, and I'm privileged to be interviewing Dr. Robert Saperko today. He has been involved with the creation of what has been termed advanced lipid testing since the early 1990s. As clinical director at the Stanford University Lipid Research Clinic and Laboratory, he pioneered the clinical use of lipoprotein subfractions, and in collaboration with Robert Ronald Krauss at the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory at the University of California, they expanded the research that validated the use of these tests in clinical practice. Dr. Saperko has numerous academic honors, has published many peer-reviewed articles and textbook chapters on the topic of advanced lipid testing. He has received many awards that include the American Heart Association, Rob Ricketts Annual Award for New Insights, and most recently, the Larry King Physician Laureate Award for Advances in Cardiovascular Care. He is presently part of the Prima Heart Cardiology Group in Monterey, California. In full disclosure, Dr. Saperko is the senior senior medical consultant at Boston Heart Diagnostics. And what a privilege it is to be able to have you here today, Robert. What initially drew you to investigate advanced lipids? Well, thank you, Susan. That was a very kind introduction. And it's always nice to figure out why somebody's interested in a specific field. I, I suppose the start of this was actually with my father, who was a U.S. Navy captain and unfortunately passed away with a premature heart attack in 1971 while I was in medical school. So this sort of stuns you as a young man. And, and then in my training in internship, residency, and fellowship, I noted that we took care of a lot of people in the intensive care unit who had heart attacks. But oddly enough, they kept coming back two or three months later. And at that point, I felt we really weren't doing much of a job to prevent future cardiovascular events. So that's sort of the background of of why I got interested in this field. So how did advanced testing actually originally get started? Well, another good point. Back in the 1980s, I was trial director of a study called the Lipid Research Clinic Coronary Primary Prevention Trial. This was an NIH study. It was the first successful cholesterol-lowering study ever published in the New England Journal of Medicine. It was 10 years long. It was all men. We used a drug called cholestyramine to reduce LDL cholesterol at that time, and it was successful. There was a statistically significant reduction in cardiovascular events. However, if you look at that and all the other statin studies after that, with the 25% relative risk reduction, which is generally obtained, uh, relative meaning the heart attack rate in the treatment group versus the placebo group, the 25% relative risk reduction was actually only a 3.5% absolute risk reduction. So I and a number of other investigators at the time felt that this was insufficient, that while lowering high LDL cholesterol is important, other things was causing this disease. And so in collaboration with Peter Wood at at Stanford University for many years, and then Ron Krauss up at the University of California in Berkeley, we investigated why people get heart attacks when their cholesterol is 
relatively normal. And in fact, why they even get heart attacks when their cholesterol comes down. So that was the initiation of, of this whole field was that uh, what we're doing is just not enough. And and I'd like to use a quote by Will Rogers that um, goes something like this. Uh, Even if you're on the right track, you get run over if you just sit there. And the point <laughs> of that is we just can't rest on our laurels that yes. cholesterol lowering is enough. There's, there's other yes. causes of heart disease. Yes. So interesting um, for those of us who've been in the field for a few years to know where it actually got started. So what patient types benefit from, from this type of testing? Oddly enough, the, the patients that benefit the most are the patients that you're not too worried about. And what I mean by that is that if you have somebody with an LDL cholesterol that's really high, you know you have a problem. But interestingly enough, most, the vast majority of people with heart disease do not have high blood cholesterol. So the tricky point here is that who within a group of patients might actually have some of these advanced disorders? And one of the most important issues is family history. Many of them are linked genetically. And so if there's a family history of heart disease, that's one group that one would want to look at. And in particular, in secondary prevention, if somebody is known to have coronary disease, even though their cholesterol is normal, it's very likely one of these other abnormalities is present. Oddly enough, some of these other abnormalities are more common than high blood cholesterol. It is shocking that most patients who have heart disease don't have elevated cholesterol. That is, that is really kind of shocking, and it really does address why looking at this type of testing is, is necessary. So then I know there's controversy regarding the use of advanced lipid testing. Is there really any clinical trial evidence that shows that these tests are useful? Uh, yes, there is, Susan. And before I address that, let me just go back in time a bit. The history of all this is really important. And the reason that the LRC study was done back in the 1980s was because we wanted to prove the hypothesis that lowering high blood cholesterol was actually beneficial. We didn't even know it back then. We just knew that high blood cholesterol was a risk factor. And so when that was successful, a number of other um, agents came to being, the statin drugs in particular, and a plethora of studies were done addressing the issue of lowering blood cholesterol. If that initial study had failed, if the LRC study had not been successful, then you probably would not have seen this field develop. So the history behind it is, is quite interesting and important. And your last question was, is there evidence that shows that these tests are actually appropriate? And the answer to that is, is yes, there is. Uh, most of the studies are funded by the federal government, uh, the NIH, for example. And what these studies show is uh, a few things. You can use them to reclassify the risk in a patient. So you have a patient with a certain risk factor profile, and one of these advanced tests can either bump the person up into a higher risk category or into a lower risk category. So the concept of risk reclassification is quite useful if you're trying to be more accurate with an individual patient. Now, the second reason is that it does change your therapeutic modality. So we know that, for instance, diet and exercise and weight loss have a differential effect on patients that have either the large LDL or the small LDL condition, and that certain therapies work better in individuals with some of these specific, quote, advanced lipid tests, unquote. And the third reason to be 
uh, really important and interested in is the family. So several of these advanced lipid disorders have a genetic uh, linkage to them. And if you find it elevated in, let's say, the father, it behooves you to think about that person's siblings because in many of them, like L. little A, for example, it's inherited in a Mendelian-dominant fashion, which means that about 50% of the family members will express it as well. So the three areas, I'm just going to repeat what you, you said. Reclassification, it will change the way you treat, and you may be able to identify family members that have inherited um, the same risk. Is that correct? That's correct. So now what specific patient types would be appropriate for this type of testing? Well, interestingly enough, uh, the patient type that's often most appropriate are the people that do not have high cholesterol, as we've talked about before. So, for example, this small, dense LDL story has been developed over 50 years, first by John Goffman at the Lawrence Berkeley National Lab and then Ron Krauss and, and myself. And what has shown in multiple federal studies is that the presence of this small, dense LDL independently predicts future cardiovascular events. So if you're worried about uh, what's going to happen to your patient in the next five or 10 years, this is a useful test to make a more accurate risk prediction. Secondly, it's been shown in arteriographic regression trials and recently published by Paul Williams at the University of California, who looked at the HAT study, Greg Brown's HAT study, and showed that small dense LDL was one of the best predictors of arteriographic progression and cardiovascular events. So the data does exist. And interestingly enough, sometimes the therapy is the least expensive therapy, which has to do with lifestyle modification. And what specific lifestyle modification for small dense LDL? Well, the small dense LDL trait is exacerbated by a number of adverse lifestyle issues, such as excess body fat or diets rich in simple carbohydrates. And studies, once again, done at the University of California in randomized clinical trials show that a loss of excess body fat can significantly improve the small dense LDL trait, even though you don't change diet. The second thing is simple diet restriction. So if you restrict the number of calories somebody eats and they lose weight, that can improve the situation. And the third is diet composition. So diets rich in simple sugars exacerbate this condition and switching to diets that uh, are less rich in simple sugars can actually improve the condition. So all those steps actually are quite inexpensive and don't require pharmacologic intervention at that point. And so it allows you to personalize your, not just drug therapy, but your lifestyle prescription as well. Very interesting. That's a, that's a really good point, Susan. So the concept here is, is the same diet or the same drug is not the right diet or drug for everybody. And I think you've seen that developed over the past 20 years of research. And so at this point, we have to custom fit lifestyle and drug therapy to the individual patient. And that's where these advanced tests can be particularly helpful. So now let's say we have a patient that changes their diet loses body weight, and we get a reduction in small dense. Do we have outcomes with small dense reduction? 
The, the outcome studies that involve arteriographic change or clinical events are mainly pharmacologic studies, such as the HAT trial, the HDL atherosclerosis treatment study from Seattle, Washington. And that's the publication that Paul Williams has produced uh, several over the past few years, showing that change in small dense LDL reflects improvement in arteriographic change or clinical events. In that study, however, the therapy was pharmacologic and not specifically diet modification. And so just to be clear, you you are saying that a a person can have a normal or low LDL cholesterol and still have the presence of small dense particles. Yes, and still have increased risk. So this is what's important in, in five major prospective studies that the LDL size was an independent predictor of cardiovascular risk. And Melissa Austin uh, presented that many years ago at the American Heart Association. So there is a relationship between LDL size and fasting triglycerides, for example. The higher the triglycerides, the more likely you are to have this small dance condition. But within the triglyceride range in which most people live between, let's say, 70 and 200 milligrams per DL, then triglycerides do not predict the presence of this small dense LDL trait. Interesting. You've mentioned that these advanced tests can reclassify a patient. Are there any other ways that a practitioner's treatment approach would be different in specific patient types? Yes, and that has to do with what therapy you're going to use. So these tests should only be used if they change either your classification of the patient or your therapeutic approach. Am I going to use drug one, drug two, or diet one or two? And whether or not I'm going to test the family. So in terms of treatment, a real good example is the whole current controversy over fish oils. Uh, There have been some studies that show that fish oils are beneficial, some studies that show they aren't. Meta-analyses that group them all together uh, suggest that if you give people one gram of fish oil per day, there's no benefit in regard to cardiovascular events. However, if you go look at a lot of the studies that were done in Japan, like the JELUS study, in which they actually measured blood levels of omega-3 fatty acids, it's the blood level achieved by the patient that reflected the benefit. In other words, if you achieve a high enough blood level, there is significant benefit in patients with cardiovascular disease and taking fish oils. So number one, as a clinician, who should I give fish oils to? Well, if I know they have coronary disease and I do a blood test and their fish oil blood levels are low, then perhaps I should increase them to replicate the benefits seen in the JELUS study. If the blood fish oil levels are already high because they eat a lot of salmon, for example, then perhaps they don't need fish oil supplementation. So there's an example of an advanced test that actually helps me make a clinical decision. Should I recommend fish oil supplements, yes or no? Yes, and that is a controversy that we've been reading about recently. This becomes a very practical tool that helps you personalize your treatment from patient to patient. So I've been taking notes, and I, and I, I would like to, in summary, give some of my takeaways. Advanced testing is superior to the basic lipid testing in the identification of that residual risk and also in predicting events. 
Also, what I heard you say is there's powerful academic research that has abundantly supported the clinical utility of this type of testing. And then lastly, these tests are actionable. I think that is so key. Actionable in the early risk identification, risk stratification, and also in in the example that you shared with small dense LDL as a proven cardiovascular risk reduction when treated with very specific lifestyle type therapies. Did I get it right? Would you, or those statements correct, would you add to anything? I think that's a good summary. I I would just comment that on the first conclusion about advanced tests being superior to basic lipid tests, uh, that's true, particularly when the basic lipid tests are normal. If you have basic lipid tests that are grossly abnormal, such as in the FH condition, then you've accurately identified a risk. So these tests are most useful in those patients that don't have a severely abnormal lipid profile. The scientific validity of these tests has been built up over the past 50 years and is quite voluminous. So if people would like to research the literature, I would welcome them to do that. But they would find that there's a plethora of scientific studies that support this. The second uh, just quick comment is that, once again, uh, prior to getting these tests, the clinician and the patient should think about how the tests are going to be used and why they would be useful. And I think that would set the groundwork for when the results come in, uh, they really know why they did the test. So practical. I appreciate your time today, Dr. Saperko, sharing not only the beginning of where advanced lipid testing started with yourself and others, but also with the very practical uh, utility of them in reducing the risk of cardiovascular disease. My pleasure, Susan. Thanks for the opportunity. So stay tuned now for our next Heart Matters podcast, where we are going to be reviewing what is new about LP little a. And we will be interviewing another national expert. Thank you for your time today. 